You are listening to episode 288 on University of Adversity. I'm learning not to force my beliefs or my experiences onto them because they just can't understand it. And it's really fascinating in this reality of billions of people. There's not two experiences that are the same. Everybody has their own unique lens in which they view reality. And so you have to understand that people that haven't had these deep, profound experiences, especially in the medicine space, um, they, they just can't even comprehend what that's like. And it's hard when you're so strong in your knowing and you want to share that with people and especially the people we love. Like, that's how I feel with my parents. Like, I love them so much and I see them suffering and in pain and, you know, these belief systems that keep them in fear and in shame. And I'm learning that there's not, no words I can say that are going to change their beliefs, but it's about me embodying my experience and them feeling it. And it's, I truly believe that in order to heal the world, we have to first heal ourselves. Life is gonna give you challenges, struggles. It's gonna force you to face your fears. Even though these may feel like your worst enemy, in truth, these are actually your greatest allies. My name is Lance Isios. Welcome to the University of Adversity. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the show. Hope you guys are having a great start to 2021. I apologize in advance for this intro, the quality of sound. As I'm recording this, I'm getting ready to go to Costa Rica and I have my mic all packed up. So I wanted to make sure I got these in, but unfortunately it's all packed. So we're going to have to do with this intro with my computer mic. Anyways, enough about that. Today's guest is a returning guest. He is one of my brothers from the Aubrey Marcus Fit for Service Fellowship. His name is Joe Holly. He's been on the show before. He's coming back for round two. And this guy is a real gem. A real, like he's such an amazing dude in, in all ways. You know, he's a retired NFL player. And the transition he's made into his life has been nothing short of spectacular. So some things I really wanted to cover with him today that we, we really hit home was, you know, what's going on in the world? How's his, what's his perspective? How does he see it? Talking about the conversation with religious families, when you have a religious family, a religious background, and you start to dance in this world of spirituality, psychedelics, <clears throat> sometimes it's hard to get through and sometimes it can create chaos. And I've noticed that in my own life. So you gotta be mindful in how you do that. And Joe talks about how he's done that with his own family. Really, really interesting. And finally, we talk about the Heart Collective. His program for men, um, ex-pro athletes who want to, you know, have life after sports and they want to have community built around that. Because a lot of times people, I've talked about this before, athletes, we get they get stuck in this, this persona of being the athlete, the pro athlete. And then when it's over, they're lost. They don't have an identity anymore. So Joe had realized that he really benefited from community and this fit for service community helped him get there. It's helped me. It's helped a lot of people. And sometimes when you come out of the world of sports like that, the missing link is that community, especially when you've been part of a team your whole life. So we unpack all of that. We talk about Joe's journey a little bit as well within the last year and really, really powerful conversation and highly recommend checking out his two podcasts that he talks about in this episode. And go check out his work. Follow him on Instagram. Um, if you would have followed him before, he had the Man Dog blog. 
uh, or man van dog blog, which is really awesome. We talked about it in the last episode. He traveled around the world in his van, or <laughs> not around the world, but he traveled around the States in his van and his dog, Freedom, and awesome story. So this guy has been on a journey and his presence is really something special. And we're actually gonna be connecting in Costa Rica. He's gonna be sitting with me doing ayahuasca at, at Saltara in the same sitting. There's gonna be 20 of us and it's gonna be really special. So. Enjoy the conversation. Joe Holly coming right up. Mr. Joe Holly, welcome to round two, brother. How you doing, man? Oh, man, so good. Thanks for having <laughs> me on again, dude. Man, really excited. Um, a lot's changed a lot in both of our lives since the last time we spoke. Um, yeah, how long ago was that? I think it would have been Over probably a year, about a year, year, and a year and a half. Wow. Yeah. Pretty new on the podcast journey, and um, I was really intrigued by your story about, you know, driving around in the van and, and living that life and, you know, with freedom, your dog. And it was awesome, bro. And I've just, you know, I remember us touching on a little bit about, you know, you being in fit for service. And I remember being like, man, I should have joined. I was going to join and I kicked myself because now I can see like the power behind it. So I think at the time, the last time we spoke, you were just getting settled into Austin or you're just thinking about moving to Austin. So yeah, if was that was really a thought, yeah, so I would love, bro, if you could like walk us through the last year or so in your life <laughs> and, and really from where you're moving to Austin and you know, getting into 2020, what has, been, what has been a lesson that you have learned within the last year or so? And walk us through that little bit of that journey. Yeah, okay. Where do I start? Um, yeah, I mean, the last year, year and a half, it's felt like a, uh, like I just dove into a portal, like a time portal. Like it's the time is so warped, like subjective time. I feel like the last year and a half has been so transformative for me personally on a lot of different levels. And I think that's kind of drawn out this sense of what time is. Um, but yeah, I mean, fit for service. Uh, I know you know the power of it now. It's just really being surrounded by a community of like-minded people who are really focused on doing deep healing work in themselves and just a place to really feel heard and feel the real power of presence has had a profound impact on my life and my journey. And on that journey, um, realizing the power of community and, you know, like I said, I'm going to show a little background as I played in the NFL for eight years. And then I traveled when I retired, I had a little bit of an identity crisis trying to figure out who I was without this game. Um, I felt I was kind of estranged from my family. I didn't really feel like I had anybody. I didn't feel like I had a home. I was kind of just floating in the wind. And it was a really beautiful experience because when I was out traveling in the van, I really found myself on a deeper level. And then I ended up finding my community and fit for service. And I joined a couple other communities, one of them being Everyman, which is a men's emotional intelligence community. And through all these experiences, realizing that, um, you know, come full circle that I want to provide a community for my brotherhood of former athletes. And so that kind of full circle brought me into what I'm doing now. Um, and we can talk about that a little bit later, but as far as this past year, um, my whole entire life has changed obviously collectively with what's going on with the world and the pandemic. Um, you know, I was traveling, I moved to Austin, ended up, um, quarantining with another girl from fit for service uh sarah regalhuth and now sarah holly we ended up getting married and eloped in vegas a few months ago and we literally went on our first date like march 16th i think right when the world was shutting down and we decided to quarantine together and we were in fit for service for that whole year before we actually had never 
met like face to face. And I think there's a lot of kind of divine reasons for that. And um, so we ended up going on our first date. She was down in Austin. We ended up quarantining together. And we've been together ever since, got married. And now we have a, a baby boy on the way. She's actually six months pregnant. Um, and so, yeah, man, uh, life's happening fast. And, you know, since then I've had time to create, uh, you know, when the world really shut down and slowed down, it gave me an opportunity to figure out what I wanted to bring into the world. I feel like I was moving like a lot of people really fast. The, mo- the world was moving fast. And I think it was a really beautiful opportunity to slow down and really focus on what I wanted to create. And since then I've started two podcasts. Um, I wrote a manuscript, my first manuscript for my book, which I'm rewriting now. Um, and then, you know, got married, had a baby and creating this new business, which is a community for former NFL players or former male professional athletes. Man, it was such a beautiful thing to see that go down in Sedona to see you propose. The the proposal. Yeah. For all of you guys listening, Joe proposed during, was the talent show, right? Or what part it was towards the end. And yeah, it was the most so the, beautiful, it was the most beautiful experience, man, to, to, to witness. Yeah. Thank you. It was, it's, it's really cool. Cause me and Sarah, we found out we were pregnant and we communicated, I think it was like two months or so before the Sedona retreat. We, you know, it wasn't this traditional, you know, I asked her to marry me. We kind of discussed it and this whole family dynamic and what it looked like. So we decided that we were going to get married and elope in Vegas the week after that retreat, uh, which was in October. And so she and I had already planned the wedding and we already, she already knew we were getting married and, but I hadn't actually like officially like gotten down on my knee and like asked her. And so I thought it'd be really cool to surprise her with that, especially around our tribe and all the, all the people that we love so deeply. And so I knew the opportunity was during this talent show. And so I, I submitted a request to be in the talent show and I kind of let them all know. So they, there's a few people that knew that I was going to be asking her to marry me and she didn't, she had no idea. And so they let me go last. And so I ended up, excuse me, going up uh, on stage and I read this really beautiful poem about how we met. I called it quarant- uh, love and finding love in quarantine. And it was a poem about how we met in the last you know few months before that. And then at the end, I asked her to marry me and like everybody just jumped up and like was cheering. And it was just such a beautiful moment. I'm really glad that I decided to do that because it was a really beautiful experience for us to share that with everybody that was there. Yeah, that vibration of that weekend and just that place and there's so many key factors what a great place to do it (laughs) yeah sedona's got a really powerful energy there and then you know aubrey opening up his house to us as well and then all of the you know kind of ceremonial experiences we did like you know the breath work the soul wander Mm. um it was just yeah it was really beautiful the talent show being able to connect oh the parangi dance night like ecstatic dance like yeah super powerful yeah that was that was i don't think i was i've been at that high of a vibration after a weekend ever after Mm -hmm. that everything just compounded together and yeah like from the ecstatic dance to the relationship of the masculine feminine to the breath work to everything it was just so powerful and to be to be in a space like that with people is really special, man. And, and it's, it's great because like that is going to create a a lasting ripple in all of our relationships moving forward. But there's one point here that I really noticed and I'd love to talk to you about is that, so when I came back from Sedona, you know, I had 
you know, I had talked about, I had done Bufo, I'd done a lot of different things. And I, I told my, I ended up, I wanted to be open. You know, we were talking about being in truth, being fully in our truth. And I wanted, I told my mom about the experience. Mm, how'd that go? That was not, she, it was, it was a really, really challenging time because I, look, I want to be honest with family and um, I really want to hear you speak to this as well in your own journey. But like when I, I just really felt like, you know what? I need to be honest with myself. I need to be able to tell my mom, my dad's not here anymore. And there was just this resistance and this feeling because my brother's really religious also. And then I was like, wow, okay. And it was this like backlash of like, cause then I got super angry and I got like really heated up about, well, this and that, you know, I'm doing this work and like, you know, cause I'm getting accusations of this and that. And then I get, I got it thrown back at me that, oh, you think you're all this in spiritual enlightened person. You think of this and that. And I was like, wow, she's right. Like, I think I'm all like, I'm coming on this journey. And then really, I don't know shit if I'm freaking out with my own mom. And mm. it really, it really made me realize a lot that that was a, the integration was kind of, you know, kicking in, but B like, it's the conversations with family around this dynamic, right? And what That's I would love to work is right. Yeah. It's like, cause you come from a religious background. You know, I, I grew up in, in a religious family, you know, Catholic and all that. And what was your conversation like with your family and how did they take it when you started to discuss this, this different sort of spirituality or this work that you're doing? Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a lot there to unpack. Uh, and I've been on quite a journey myself and I appreciate you sharing that, but you know, yeah, a lot of people on the spiritual path, they, it's easy to go to these retreats and have these higher states of awareness and consciousness and vibration and feel the love. But, and a lot of people get lost in that. And the, but the real work is, you know, how do you embody that in your real life and embody loving presence and being able to be present with, with others, especially family. And I've been on my own deep journey with that. And I think it goes back to, you know, I, I grew up in a, in a Christian household. My dad's in the very kind of closed-minded dogmatic belief system, and they're not open to all of this work. And I always, that created a lot of resistance. And I was actually kind of estranged from my family for a long time. And when I was traveling, actually traveling in the van, I remember having a very uh, specific conversation that was really powerful for me because even though in the church, I, I, I always had so many questions around Christianity that were never answered. I'm really grateful now looking back on that because it led me on this path of finding my own truth for myself. Um, but I always held that belief that, you know, Jesus died for my sins. I have to believe that in order to go to heaven. And if I don't, I'm going to go to hell. And so I always had this, this fear that if I didn't believe that and I got in a car accident tomorrow, like I always held on to that belief, like deep in my unconscious, like I went on this path, I was open-minded doing all this stuff and realizing that I think part of that was, I didn't want to, I didn't want to bring that up to my parents that I didn't believe that because I thought they would not, you know, think the same of me or they might disown me. And so it wasn't just this fear of death. It was this fear of being ostracized from my parents and my family for not believing what they believe. And I had this one moment in my van. I remember I was driving across the country. I forget where I was at, but I called my dad and we um, started talking about spirituality and, and, you know, religious beliefs. And he, he, he basically point blank asked me, he's like, so you're telling me you don't believe that Jesus died for your sins. And I felt all of this intensity in my body and I was like this resistance. And I just, 
I was like, I have to speak my truth. And I, I finally was like, no, I don't believe that. And it's okay. And like, I just remember releasing that belief from my unconscious. And that was like the real first step in being solid in my own truth and my own experience. And I think when we go through these deep, you know, plant medicine journeys, you know, I did five MEO DMT as well. And it's a very profound experience. And when you experience like something like that, it's no longer a belief. It's a knowing, right? You experience God. And I think that's the real beautiful thing that nobody can really take away from you when you have a full embodied experience of what the divine is. And I think that's really what's missing from a lot of religions. And I think if you can have that experience through the religious belief that you have, like that's totally beautiful. But I think the problem is people attach to my, like if you're right in your belief, then that might mean I'm wrong. And I think it's this fear of death that comes up of like, if I'm wrong and I don't know what happens when I die. So I have to attach to my beliefs so much and, you know, learning, and this has been a long journey with my parents and reconnecting with them. And I got to a point where me and my dad would always talk about spirituality and they, they're evangelical so that they feel like it's their admission to save me. Right. And my, even my mom says like, I just know that, that Jesus is working on you and you're going to come full circle back and you're going to find Jesus again. And I'm like, mom, I promise you like that's not happening. And it's not, it's not because I don't like I've come full circle and like understanding Jesus and who he was as this mystic, as this full embodiment of love and presence. And it's really beautiful kind of going full circle from those beliefs because they used to have a lot of resistance. And I actually came full circle and dove back into those teachings because I wanted to connect with my dad on what he believed and be able to share from his, you know, verbiage and his language, like using the Holy Spirit. And I remember having this conversation with my dad where we'd always talk about this stuff and it would get to a point where he would get defensive and I would get angry and like just like you're talking about with your mom and it would like and it would kind of blow up and that would constantly be happening and I remember it was after um I went over and hung out with them one night and it was just me and him and I think my mom was visiting my sister and it came up again and we started getting to that point where it was like the the, the resistance was coming up I felt the energy in my body and I felt his he getting defensive and I remember at one point I was like okay well, like we're getting in this cycle and it's just gonna break us apart and I remember in that moment I felt all of this like energy coming up in my chest and I just took a deep breath and I, was, and I let go of that energy and I just sent my dad love I didn't say anything I just like came to a moment where I was like I just I love you dad and I didn't say anything and in that moment when I sent him love he like literally stopped in that instant and was like oh my gosh Joe I'm so sorry I, I, I don't know why I'm getting angry talking about my beliefs and in that moment I was like oh my gosh it worked like and I just got flooded with love I was like that's that's the key it's not about using words to try and change someone's belief it's the energy that is exchanged and i think that's why you know coming full circle with the jesus teaching like what he really did and how he healed people was not the words he used it was the presence that he he had and the, the pure embodiment of love and when i felt that now since then me and my dad have this really beautiful relationship where we can communicate about these things but Anytime I feel him getting defensive or getting a little bit heightened, I just say, you know, sorry, we can talk about this later. Like, I love you. And I'm learning not to force my beliefs or my experiences onto them because they just can't understand it. And it's really fascinating in this reality of billions of people. There's not two experiences that are the same. Everybody has their own unique lens in which they view reality. And so you have to understand that people that haven't had these deep, profound experiences, especially in the medicine space, they, they just can't even comprehend what that's like. And it's hard when you're so strong in your knowing and you want to share that with people and especially the people we love. Like that's how I feel with my parents. Like I love them so much and I see them suffering and in pain and, you know, these belief systems that keep them in fear and in shame. 
And I'm learning that there's not, no words I can say that are going to change their beliefs, but it's about me embodying my experience and them feeling it. And it's, I truly believe that in order to heal the world, we have to first heal ourselves. And by doing that, the energy that we emit out of our being is the healing energy that heals those around us. And I can feel my parents over this journey of the last two years of doing this deep work on myself. I can see them letting go and just they're, they're becoming more loving. They're becoming lighter. They're not anywhere where I like wish they would be. So I could have these deep conversations because I love them so much, but it's okay. It's okay. It's, and you know, even people that get on the spiritual path, they, they sometimes get lost in seeking. And what I'm learning is every single path is infinite. Like it's going to take you on forever. And all of the paths lead us right back to where we are now, which is the present moment. That's what Bufo experience taught me. It's like the only thing that exists is now the present moment, all these Eastern philosophies and different teachings. And it's, it's all about being present. And we get so lost in our minds of creating these stories of the future or stories of the past, which is like who we think we are. And those all stem from the present moment as well. And so I think it's really coming back to being present with them and, you know, having a, having a conversation with them and like, and, you know, I think with psychedelics, um, you know, I had a lot of resistance. I, I always thought, cause I had a little bit of a following when I was traveling and, you know, I'm writing a, a book and, um, you know, I have a, a bit of a personal brand and I always had this story. I told myself that I, I don't want to talk about psychedelics cause it's going to affect my brand. And you know, what are people going to think? And it's funny because I, I, after looking really deeply into that story, I realized oh, I don't really care what other people think or, or what my brand gets reflected as. I really care about what my parents think. And when I uncovered that, I actually sat down with my parents and I said, you know, dad, I just wanted to share with you, like I've been doing work with psychedelics and it's been in a very medicinal way in a ceremonial context with proper facilitation. It's not in this like social environment. And I've been doing some deep healing work and there's a lot of science behind this. There's a lot of like fMRI scans of brains lighting up and processing deeper traumas. And I think he didn't really understand what I was saying, but I, I had to express to him that that's where I was at. And it was almost another release of letting go. And since that moment, I've had no issue sharing publicly about my experiences with psychedelics. And it's so funny because I had the story of like, people are going to like stop following me or they're going to have opinions about it. Like nobody really cares. It, we're the ones that care. And usually it's the people we love the most that we're, we're fearful that they're not going to love us anymore. or They're going to treat us differently. And so it's just, that's the challenge. But I think really sitting down there and when you are in your knowing and your experience and you know, nobody can take that away from you. Um, I think that's where you can like be calm and approach those conversations with like love and grace and presence. Mm. It's beautiful, man. Beautifully said. And I think what I've noticed is that conversation around psychedelics usually gets grouped into the recreational conversation of drugs. Like mm. they're all the same you know? And, you know, I've tried to explain that as well. It's, it's not the same at all. Going mm -hmm. unconsciously and doing things with alcohol and recreationally is a completely different world than setting an intention, having, you know, the set, the setting, all of that and doing the work. It's work. It's not easy. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, that's, it, know, takes, like it takes a, like a warrior to step into their own shadow and look at their own pain I mean, it's yeah. even funny, like my mom has no problem with taking pharmaceutical drugs because the doctor prescribes it. But then I talked to her about, mm. oh, I had an experience of God in this, you know, ayahuasca ceremony or bufo ceremony. 
and I let go of a lot of like deep wounding and trauma. And she's like, yeah, but you're on drugs. Like, I don't need drugs to, to have an experience with God. I know Jesus, like, and I have a relationship with them, but they call it drugs, but she has no problem, you know, taking, you know, any kind of medicine that the doctor prescribes her. And it's really fascinating that the narrative has been so controlled by, you know, big pharma and like, you can get so deep into all of that and the reasons why. But yeah, I mean, even like back in the 60s when like LSD and, and psilocybin was all like, oh, it's the drugs and, and it's, it's, it's counterculture and like all this stuff. And that's really sad because that kind of took us behind the eight ball of all the real research, which is, you know, starting to come back up, which is really beautiful of using these really powerful tools that if you use them in the right set and setting with the right proper facilitation have had more like way more profound and lasting impact on mental illness and anxiety and stress and you know end of world end of life um, experiences and stuff like that and so PTSD and so it's something that we really need to try and change the story and the narrative around it and that's a really challenging thing I mean the, the stories run so deep, even with like religion and belief systems, people get so attached to them. And if they don't question their own stories and look inward on where these stories were created, then it's really, it's really hard to use words to change that. Yeah. And I think the, what I've noticed to be the best way to show the power of these things is to just embody it. And they see what you've what you're doing and how you're acting and it's like oh wow this is this person's different you know i feel like it's kind of like trying to sell somebody something they don't need you know you see it these slimy salesmen out there and it's like you need this you need this you need this and it's like repels people but it's like if they just embody the thing and they're like really excited about it and you see that it works for them really well you're like oh i want that thing i want more of that whatever that thing is right and mm. i feel like that has been a real lesson as well for me and you could probably agree that it's like if we just worry about ourselves and embody that people see that man people can see that glowing people can see the change and then that kind of brings down that resistance that they may have because they're waiting for something bad to happen that's you're going to go crazy from this stuff Right. It's mm -hmm. like this like consequence of like you're playing in this area and like this psychedelic stuff is it gonna make you go nuts? And you know, I, I feel like the way around that, it's like you can't really convince anybody of anything. You can show them the science, you know, and but we've been conditioned so much, like you said, with pharma to trust the white coat doctors that they have our best interests in hand. And it's really not the case, but it's our society. And as soon as you start to talk about these things that were considered, you know, dangerous to society, then, you know, people start to get scared. So I think it's, yeah, I think it's really interesting to, to just witness the person and to see how they embody it in their own life. And then, I mean, that's the real test. Yeah. Yeah. Be, be the change that you want to see in the world. Right. It's so funny. Like, and everybody, everybody knows how to, like what it takes to be healthy what a good diet looks like, what they need to do to get in shape, um, what a good person is, like not being an asshole. But it's like, do you embody that? Do you actually like, it's another, a whole nother thing entirely to go put it into practice. And when you can really do that, and I think when you do that, you can, it really does have an effect on the people around you. And, but it also, on the other hand, can be very confronting to people because if they see you growing they see you healing, they see you changing, especially in like, for me, old circles of friends, right? 
and you start growing apart from them because it's confronting to them. Because if they see you growing, then it's a big mirror to them of where they're stuck. And a lot of people have a lot of resistance to looking at themselves in that way because it is confronting and it is difficult and it is a lot of work. And that's why I have so much respect for people that are willing to go into the deep parts of their psyche and who they are and let go of you know these traumas and look at them. And it's, it's not easy work, but it's very powerful and impactful. Yeah, because it forces them to change when you change. People don't mm-hmm. want that. They they want to keep. They get used to seeing you this way. They 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 want to have that. And if they start to see you change and do different things, that means that they have to get uncomfortable a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> it's really it's a it, it's it's fascinating to see. Yeah, I mean, even the the ego personality is just a construct, right? It doesn't. It's not actually real. It's just the story we tell ourselves about who we are and how we relate to the world. And even your story about who I am is different than my story about who I am. And so we try to put this mask on to to be something who we think other people want us to be and put this thing up. But there's nothing you can do. Like even the story I tell myself about who you think I am is different than who you think I am. And so it's like we gotta gotta let go of all of this, yeah. this this story of trying to be something, and really let go of the layers of, you know, shadow and the mask that kind of get in the way of who we really are on a deeper level. Dude, that's so interesting, because everybody sees a different version of you. You know, everybody has their own. That's so. I was thinking about that the other day. It's like everyone that you know sees you a different way because of their stories from the past and their lens that they see. Mm. Because somebody maybe did something like you did, so they'll have uh, a connection to somebody else, so they'll look at you like that. And it's really interesting how we really, how we see ourselves. And this is the problem is that sometimes we don't see ourselves like the way other people see us. And, and it, you know, we doubt ourselves. We think, oh, well, you know, nobody sees me like that, but yet they do. And sometimes you just need to like, you need to tell that person like, Hey man, I see you. Do you realize that people see you this way? Like, do you understand? And they're like, no, I don't. And it's, Hmm. it's beautiful to, to tell somebody that because people truly don't see themselves really as, as the same as somebody sees them as far as like thinking that they're have so much potential or Hmm. that, they're, they could have so much greatness, but they want to play small because they don't believe in themselves, right? They don't think yeah, they're feeling up unworthiness, right? Yeah. And what just came to me is this really practical tool, which uh, my wife, Sarah, actually told me about what she's done. It's like, you know, to figure out who you are and the story of what people think you are is a really good practical practice is to, to reach out to, I don't know, seven to 10 of your closest friends or family and ask them, like, what do you think of me? Like, why are you my friend? Like, what is it about me that attracts you to me? And, and why are you like even interacting with me? And I think that's a very eye-opening exercise to go through because it does, you know, it, it, will, it will probably shed some light on things that you don't really know about yourself. And usually there are a lot of good things, like why someone's a friend with you. Mm-hmm. And it's really good to understand that because it will give you some confidence in who you are moving forward. Yeah. And that brings me to the next thing, especially with old friendships. You know, if you were a party person or, you know, and you don't anymore and you wonder, you know, what was the reason like we are friends, were we friends just to party? Because there's friends that you have to drink with and then there's friends that you have that don't. And I've realized that in my own life when I'm not drinking and 
you, you, you know, you look at the things that you do and you take that out, then there's not a lot of things that you're really, you have in common. And it's really interesting when you change like that. Yeah. And you're dancing with like this past, this past persona that you had and you're, you know, you're creating a new story and sometimes they don't want to align. Yeah. That's where you outgrow people. Right. And it, I think it's really fascinating. Like when we go hang out with old, old friends, let's say, and we start going back into like the patterns of who we were when we used to hang out with them. And, you know, even with my, my parents, like showing up as the story of who I am and who they think I am and it, like I dropping. And it's kind of like, if you look at it on like a vibrational scale or frequency, like kind of lower your vibration to match them and where you're at instead of like holding at where you are. And it's, Yes. It's this idea of peer pressure, right? Like you just want to, you want to fit in. And so it's hard to be like, oh no, I don't, I don't do that. And I think that's where really fully embodying who you are and removing the masks and being around those people. I mean, there's a natural, like if you do grow away from them and understand like that's the only reason you hang out with them, then you can question why I'm hanging out with them. But if you really love them and you love yourself, you can go around them. And if you really show up as the person that's done the deep healing work, like and trust that that's going to be okay then what i found is it's a really powerful and it's really healing to them as well but it can be very confronting like i talked about earlier and that might actually push you away further but mm -hmm. what i've learned is to when you kind of outgrow people or change um it's okay to like continue on the path and i think eventually if they if they follow you and they want to stay connected with you maybe eventually they'll they'll want to grow and they see the growth that you've had and they'll reach out to you at some point and be like hey show me like what can i do to 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 get to where you're at i just see you glowing i see you just so loving you're you're accomplishing you know things that you put your mind to and you know we can't force that on anybody i think that's that's the real challenge especially with like family like you talked about like we love them so much and they're you know it's an interesting thing with families like they're always going to be in our lives you know, like friends we outgrow and maybe might not see them maybe a year a couple years you know at a time but family is kind of always there and so as we grow it's like we're always you know, forced to interact with them. And I think showing up as we are, um, you know, fully with the masks off is really a powerful, powerful thing. Yeah. It's in, man, it's the biggest teacher family. Yeah. We're all mirrors for each other. Right. Like even like, like back to the stories, like your story of who I am. And if something about me upsets you or triggers you or makes you angry, like I'm just a mirror for you because yeah. I'm not, I'm not doing those things to you. There's no. something within yourself that you're not looking at that is making you feel that way that you see in me. And so when we have that perspective, if we start interacting with people that, you know, especially with my family, this is with my parents, the deep part of the healing journey for me was I would slowly spend more time with them. And anytime I'd get triggered, I'd like look at them like, why am I getting triggered? And it's like, Oh, cause I want them to be different or I feel like they don't see me or love me. And what I've done is I've turned that around and said, well, maybe where, where am I not loving them? Where am I not seeing them? Where am I not allowing them to be who they are? And that's where real compassion comes in. Because like, if I try to change my parents, then that's going to be wanting them to be different than they are. But if I can accept my parents and have compassion for where they're at, then I can love them fully where they're at. And I'm not trying to change them. I'm allowing them to be who they are. And that creates you know, the connection where you can actually start having conversations rather than having arguments or you know triggered discussions that like push you further away yeah and to fully hear them too like they want to be seen and heard 
It's like without cutting each other. Yeah. Right. Like, you know how family it's like, you want to stop them right there. But if you just let them speak and ask questions and then it's like, well, why do you feel like that? Well, why? Oh, okay. And then they get it all out and you're like, oh, and it's, yeah. Instead of having that immediately to the defense. Yeah. And that's where presence comes in. Right. Like most of us aren't really present and it's really, I think there's so much healing power in presence. And I think that's the power of fit for service is this community. Like there might be someone in the community you've never met before and you go on, on the retreat and you, you go up to them and they, they're fully present there. Like their eyes are connected and they're not thinking about what they're trying to say or judging you or trying to figure out a story. They're just literally listening. And in our world and our society, it's really sad that most people don't know how to do that. So you can, and I find it so, so crazy because, you know, a lot of my close friends now like have done some deep work. So they're really present. I'm like sharing with them. But when I go, you know, out or maybe some old friends, and I'm like talking and sharing a story. I can like look in their eyes and I can tell they're kind of not there with me. And so I think for us to really, if we, if we do want to deeply help or heal the people we love, it's about being present for them and allowing, like listening to them, not thinking about how we need to change them, but like like letting them express and asking them questions to dive deeper into their own story and their own self and just being present. Like, Oh yeah, I love you. I hear you. Like that must've been challenging, you know? And I think when people feel heard, then it's not this adversarial thing. It's just like, we're doing this together. We love each other. Like come back to love. One thing that you're, that I really admire that I want to talk about next is you know, we had this conversation when we were in Sedona and I can resonate with this a lot is that, you know, I didn't make it professional in hockey. I didn't play pro like you did playing in the NFL, but there's a certain, we, we, we become these characters, these stories, and we define ourselves as the athlete or the pro athlete or, you know, the football player, the hockey player. And Sometimes when that comes to an end and we don't have the tools and we don't know and we don't know what's next, it can be really challenging, especially, man, you know, with all the head injuries, with all the, 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 the highs, the lows, you're somebody and then you feel like you're nobody, you know, there's so many different things happening and the life after sports, the athlete is so important. And when I found out you were doing this, dude, like I was like, man, that is so perfect. What better guy to do that? And I think, and I want to, I want to hear you speak about this and also tying in the two together about, you know, tying in psychedelics with some of these head injuries, because like I know in the NHL, you know, there's a couple guys, Dan Carcillo, Raleigh Cote, these guys that were enforcers and they hit and got paid to fight. Man, they went through, they're going through some big time depression, concussions, you know, really low lows and guys, enforcers that have killed themselves in the last few years, you know, because we can't see what's in the brain. And what I would love to, if you could speak on is what, walk us through what you're working on with Heart Collective and life after sports, and maybe speak to a little bit about how psychedelics and how this transformation out of that into this new world and maybe through a better healing journey, kind of like what you've gone through. Yeah, yeah. I'll talk about the the psychedelics uh, just because it's it's on top of my mind right now. And I think for me and my personal journey, I um, 
I started looking at the science behind it. I wanted to be really proactive. I think it was like 2015, like my fifth or sixth year in the league, when a lot of the the, the studies around CTE started coming out, that movie Concussion came out, and it really kind of shook a lot of guys. Like, oh, wow, this is very real. And it's something we're all going to deal with if you played any kind of contact sport for any length of a time. And I really wanted to be proactive in taking care of my brain. And that led me to find meditation and these other practices to work out the brain. I think there's a few things and it's really all about neurogenesis and neuroplasticity and creating new neural pathways in the brain and ways to do that are, are, are constantly learning. So I started reading books to expand my mind. I think travel is a great way to create new neural pathways because you're constantly experiencing new things. Your brain's going to create new neural connections. Um, meditation was a really big one that's been a, had a profound impact on my life. That's really helped me find presence, but I really got into that because of the, you know, even the, the brain scans I saw uh, of, of brains lighting up and the, the neurogenesis that that can lead to. And then I came across, um, you know, it's a plant medicine work, uh, specifically ayahuasca and uh, even some, some studies around mushrooms and psilocybin uh, of how they lead to neuroplasticity and neurogenesis. And that's really what kind of uh, got me interested in it. It wasn't this like psycho not go explore consciousness. It was like, how can I really be proactive in healing my brain and protecting it moving forward? Because it's like, like you said, you don't know you're, you're getting dementia or you're going crazy. It's like, it just happens. Like you're the one experiencing it, but you can't really pinpoint it because it's your lens in which you're viewing reality. And so the people close to you might see something changing with you. And so that really kind of frightened me. And so that's what got me down the journey of of experiences and I know other people have done it as well and it's been really profound and I definitely want to be able to in the right way bring these kind of tools uh, into the community that I'm building which is is called the heart collective and what led me to create that launched uh, about two months ago um, I've been working on it for about I don't know probably the past 16 months um, but when I first left uh, the NFL um, I felt you know and this is my whole journey with the man van dog blog and traveling in the country around the country in my van but felt very isolated and alone, uh, loss of identity. And leaving professional athletics comes with a lot of its own unique challenges. And it's really hard to find someone to relate to what that experience is like. You know, most people are like, oh, yeah, you made a lot of money. You were famous. Like, you retired at 30. Like, good for you. Go do whatever you want. And they just don't understand the deeper stories. And we all have our own experience. And so, you know, by getting involved with Fit for Service and every man in these other communities and the power that community provided me, I realized, oh my goodness, that's the one thing that's missing from this, this transition out of professional athletics. Because if you think about it, as a, as a football player in my journey, and I know a lot of team sports, our entire lives were in a locker room surrounded by like-minded guys, high-achieving, high-performing individuals who are all focused on a common goal, who show up to reach their highest potential every day, who know what it's like to push themselves outside their comfort zone and reach these less like higher levels and pinnacles of success. And all of a sudden when it's over, like that's all gone. And of course you're isolated and alone. You don't know where to turn to and it leads to, to depression or loss of identity and loss of purpose and like all this stuff. And so I felt very inspired to uh, provide and create a community, a safe container where guys who are going through that experience can come together, support each other through that experience through just, you know, coming together. And, you know, there's going to be a lot of other things and tools that I provide, but it's really about, you know, bringing together guys, really special individuals too. Like even like all professional athletes, if you made it to that level, you're a very special individual. You know what it's like right. to push yourself and like you're a top, 
percent of a percent of a population. And when the game is over, I feel like a lot of that talent is, and that specialness is kind of wasted. And so my really big vision is to bring all these guys together so that we can do this deep work on ourselves in order to send positive ripples out into the world and really make it a big impact and leverage our community, leverage our network, um, do the work on ourselves to show up as leaders. Cause you know, so many people in our society and culture look up to professional athletes, for example, for leadership. And so if these guys start focusing on themselves and removing the stories of doubt and fear and self-limiting beliefs and really show up to reach their highest potential, that alone is going to inspire other people. But then, you know, leveraging, you know, our energy together to go work on different projects and really, you know, help make the world a better place. Um, I'm just really, really stoked about it and excited about the journey ahead. Yeah, you brought up a great point with if you can make it to that level, you're you're a very special individual. Like I could speak to it to to get professional, man. Like there's such a small window of error. And if you're not committed, you're done. And it's over very quickly. And you know, I've seen guys make it pro and not stay there. You know, everybody's wanting to take your job. It's a very elite, special thing. But I think a lot of them don't realize that how yeah, like helping them realize that they're able to do other things also. That's why you see like one person that can make one sport can usually make it in another sport. Like they're really good at, at being able to focus and, and get through to that next level. And if you can take that and help them channel something new, take that same thing, that drive and channel it into something else, it's so powerful, but it's helping them see that. Because yeah. we're so stuck in tunnel vision sometimes. That's exactly that- right. Yeah, I mean, even like when, when I was playing football, I'm in a locker room with other guys that are elite. And so it becomes normal. It's like a normal experience. Yeah. And what I've realized, you know, getting into entrepreneurship and business and learning and talking with people and it's like, whoa, most people in the world don't know what it's like to really push themselves to that level. And you, weren't, you didn't make it. You made it because you were a good athlete, sure but there's plenty of good athletes out there. And the reason that you made it and you stayed there and you reached that place is because of all the intangibles, all the adversity and challenges you've overcome, your ability to push yourself to the limits and dig deep and find a little bit more and handle like, you know, yeah, people constantly trying to take your job, like the hyper competitive environment, having to just push your body, your mind, like the emotional strain it takes of having to prove yourself constantly. And, if you can really harness that energy, focus it on yourself. I mean, I think that's why once I, you know, went on this, the spiritual path and self-development path of really focusing on, on my deep healing, I've had this kind of exponential growth because I have such a solid foundation uh, that I've learned from football, like my ability to handle failure my ability to uh, push my body and the mental toughness it takes and the discipline and applying that all to these practices on myself has helped me reach, you know, higher levels of awareness and deeper healing. And I think if, we come together and you know this from fit for service. When you put a bunch of people that are focused on doing that type of work together, the energy is just so incredible. And I just know I'm like really excited about bringing these really strong men who know what it's like to push themselves in that way and turn it inward. We can just really leverage that into a really beautiful and big impactful way. Yeah. And I think it just has to be the right person to deliver the message. You know, and I think that's why we all gravitated towards Aubrey's because he's just, he's that guy that can deliver this, this message of like things you wouldn't usually talk about or be interested in. I know for me, I'm like, I, I remember hearing about him 
hearing about hearing him talk on Tim Ferriss, and I was like, who is this dude talking about stuff that you know a certain individual would talk about that this person wouldn't, you know, like in and then hearing this, just the way it was delivered, I was like, oh, I need to hear more about this, and it 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 allows me to explore more because it it gives me some sort of permission or something, and I think sometimes that's. You, it's the you can hear the same message from ten different people, but if somebody says it in a way that you can resonate, then you're 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 ready to kind of like drop the barriers and just let yourself sort of get into that. But I think that has to be the right person to deliver that. Yeah, yeah. I think I mean the thing with Aubrey is like it's really beautiful that was attractive to me was you know he's this entrepreneur, really successful entrepreneur, built a really like a multi million dollar company and on it, but yeah. he's also doing it with this spiritual side. Right. And he's, yeah. he's like fully embodying it. And you know, his whole thing is total human optimization and what, you know, I'm, we're all like kind of learning how to optimize our humanness. And a piece of that is the spiritual path. Cause like you can't be fully optimized as a human without understanding the deeper parts of who you are. And so he like brings this whole kind of different game into it and he's like yeah. very much in the world finding success but he's doing it from this different angle and that was like it's really attractive to you know a lot of really high achieving people because you can have both i mean you really need both to be fully embodied and yeah. be successful in a in a in like a and be, being able to enjoy it right because a lot of people get too put in the masculine where it's like do 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 achieve accomplish but then you're not actually enjoying life. You got to like find balance within the feminine as, as well and allow and be present and like all of these deep things. And another beautiful thing about Aubrey is he's just so transparent and yeah. open and truthful. Like he doesn't hold anything back. And I think it's like everybody can learn from that. Yeah. That was a huge thing for me too, that I, I really resonated with also was his conversation about self love and just compassion and hearing somebody like him talk about that was was refreshing for me because I think that's what I needed to hear so badly because I was so hard on myself for like the dumb shit that I've done in my life with sports, you know, my own career flushed down the toilet because of dumb things. And I've always felt this guilt, this like this shame and having that compassion for ourselves is so important. And, you know, it all starts with us and, and loving our, our good and our bad as, as just as equally as important as to our story because that's, that's who we are. And that's been huge, man. I think this year is, is, is that. And to be able to be an entrepreneur, to be able to be physically fit, to be able to be spiritually fit, all of that, it's, it's rare. You don't see it very often. You know, there's, there's, there's people that are either one side or the other a lot of the times. And it's nice to be able to realize I can be both. You can combine both worlds into this like amazing, beautiful thing. Mm. Right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. I think one of the, my favorite quotes, and when I, when I read this, it just really hit home is, we are not humans who have spiritual experiences, but we are spirits who are having a human experience. I think a lot of people on the spiritual path, they get lost in trying to transcend this reality and like go off and, and do these things. And they look at the, the world and the way it is and they're like, oh, like it's just falling to shit and like all this stuff. Like I'm so much better than that. And it's like, well, you're, you're missing the point. Like this is the spiritual experience. Like this is why we are here. 
And the, if you look out in the world and you see it kind of burning alive and you see all the suffering and you see the pain and you see the fear, you see the shame, like that's there because it's an opportunity for us to go be love in that. And that's where the work is. The work is not trying to transcend this reality and go live a spiritual life somewhere. Like you can go do that and that'd be fun. There's nothing wrong with that. But don't complain about where this experience is because this is, this is the spiritual experience. This is life. This is why we are here. Yeah, like we're, I guess, the state of the world right now. What, what, uh, what would you say? How, do we, how are we getting out of this? Oh, we, man. Like what is, it starts with ourselves. But like, you know, I know that we've all gone down this rabbit hole and back and forth and, and you know, wondering like what is going on here. But is, what, is, what do you think is the way out of this? It's a good question, man. And I ask that question to a lot of people I have these deep conversations with, you know, I ask the same thing, like, how do, how do we change it? What do we do? And, you know, I think it's, there's, there's so much happening right now. And I think we have to continue to question everything. Um, and I like back to what I said earlier, I think if we get it too attached to one way or the other, I know there's like a lot of conspiracy theories, like deep state, like what's happening with COVID and like all this stuff, but it's really about questioning everything and we can't tell people like with the vaccines like we can't tell people that vaccines are bad for them but we can you know try and get them to question themselves why why they're doing it i think that's really the key is to get people to look at the stories that they think are so real and solid and because i mean you know the wisest people i know some of my mentors they understand that and they've done all the deep work they've gone on all the plant medicine journeys they've done deep like eight hour meditation sessions they've gone to like do the 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 vipassana and all this stuff and realizing like they don't know anything like the wisest thing anybody anybody can say is i don't know like (laughs) anything is possible and you look out of the world like there's infinite number of experiences happening right now and there's an infinite number of storylines there's people in the government and you know, in these different countries worldwide, that are having conversations that we we don't even we can't we can't know we can't know what's happening, and I think that comes back to the lesson of surrender, and like surrendering into the moment, not getting too attached to trying to change it, but showing up and living our dharma, right? Living our purpose, living like doing what we can do, and it really starts with healing ourselves, removing the masks, understanding what we are here to do, and go do that to the best of our ability, and let go of the rest. Because understanding that it is all just an experience. And without the suffering, the pain, the fear, there can't be the experience of love, compassion, gratitude, and joy. It's it, We live in a dualistic universe, right? And so there has to be this duality for us to even have an experience. And so it's an opportunity for us to have an experience and go be the love that we, we want to see in the world. I think that's all we can really do. That was the quote that I really could resonate with when I started the personal development. It's like, you have to be the change you wish to see in other people. I mean, you can't expect others to change if you're just going to stay the same. If you're, if you're a shitty person, well, nobody's really a shitty person. But if you're doing, you're doing shitty things and then expecting other people to not do shitty things, it's like, what? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's... It's it's probably the best quote really to to embody, and yeah, man. You get to a point where you can see someone doing shitty things, and you don't take it personal, but you see they're doing it from a place of 
pain from a place yeah, of, of yeah. A, wound, a wound that they haven't processed, a trauma, and the way that they're showing up in the world is not who they are. It's because of the story they think they are. And when you can see that, then you can really fully have compassion for them. And I think when you show up in that way and, and love them, I think a real problem is this is the division that's happening, right? And when we get attached to an idea, it creates divisiveness. Anytime there's a boundary, there creates an automatic battle between two sides. And, you know, people think like hating another side because of who they are is love because they love what they think they're right. It's, you have to love it all because all of it is God. <laughs> Dude, so powerful. Whew. <laughs> I love you, man. Man, I love you too, bro. This this is epic. I uh I always wrap things up with, you know, one final question. And I guess we can even tie it into this year around adversity. What is one lesson? Let's say, yeah, this year, one lesson that adversity has taught you in 2020. Wow. Adversity has taught me in 2020. I think, you know, without resistance, there can be no growth. And, you know, 2020 specifically with, you know, I think it's, I think it's really, really beautiful. And it's just such a reminder of the perception that you have, you know, you know, might not have a choice of, how your outer circumstances happen to you in the world, right? Like the things that you have to go through, but you always have a choice of how you respond to it. Right. And 2020 for me personally was one of the best years of my life. And it's funny when I get on a call with some people and they're like, Oh, I'm so glad 2020 is almost over. And this, then I'm like, yo, listen, like I know it was challenging for a lot of people, but it was one of the best years of my life. There's a lot of beauty that came out of it. And that's because I, I made the intention and decided to do that. And I think it's a real reminder that even, you know, collectively, like the world was going so fast. And I don't think a lot of people realize that this is all a story. It's a collective story that we've created, that people yeah. before us have created that we were born into. And because the whole world shut down in an instant, I think a lot, that's waking a lot of people up to the realization that, oh, wow, I don't have to go into work my nine to five, like I can work from home. Like that's a new story. The whole education system's in question now. It's like, well, why am I sending my kids to school? And it's like, we have this idea that we think we need to educate them. But what I'm realizing is that's just some really deep programming that people are going through. And I think a lot of people are attached to this old way of being. And what happened in 2020 is it's forcing us to look at the collective story that we've created for ourselves. And I think it's a beautiful opportunity for us to come together and shift the narrative. And that's not going to be an easy thing. But without resistance, there will be no growth. And so I'm really looking forward to, to what the future has in store. And, you know, I just, I say to everybody all the time, like, just buckle up because it's going to be one hell of a ride. Amen, brother. I can't wait for 2021. This year has been, you know, challenging for me, but it, again, I'm grateful for it. It's been, there's been a lot of good. There's been a lot of challenging times, but again, it's, it's all part of the journey. And 2021, man, I'm excited to, you know, be with you in Costa Rica. We're going to have stoked, man. We're going to have a time at Sartara. It's going to be, it's going to be epic. And man, I'm so excited for this. Um, Me too, man. It's going to be really powerful and impactful and you can bring all the equipment down and we can do another conversation. 
yeah, down in the jungle. Absolutely. I'm flying out tonight. So when this is aired, this is, uh, I'm already down there, but, uh, yeah, brother, I, I really appreciate you coming on and this was so powerful. And there's, it's funny because there is those two areas that I really wanted to touch on and I'm glad that we touched on them because I feel like they're so powerful and what you're doing is great, dude. So thank you. Thank you for embodying this work because I know that the athletes out there need you, man. And you know, yeah, it's thank the you, right man. Really appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely, brother. Where where can we find you? Where's the best place to check you out and learn more about you? Yeah, if you want to connect with me, Instagram is probably one of the best places at Joe.holly, H A W L E Y. You can check out my website, Joe Holly.com. And if you want to check out the Heart Collective, it's spelled H A R T, the Heart Collective.com. Um, and that's a community exclusively for former male professional athletes. Uh, if you're looking for community, I'd love to uh, get, in, get in contact with you and, and see how I can support you. And I also got my two podcasts. Um, if you want to support me in that way, Quantum Coffee, uh, we discuss the unanswerable questions of the universe. A lot of the stuff we kind of talked about here, it's one of my favorite things to do is just discuss these deeper questions. Uh, I'd love to have you on that podcast at some point as well. And then I have Life Beyond the Game, which is um, the intention behind that is to bring on former uh, professional athletes to talk about their journey through transition to normalize the experience. And, you know, it's really powerful for anybody that goes through a big life transition because it's not just unique to football players. That's just a really big one. But I know we all at some point in our lives go through big life transitions and it can be really uh, debilitating going into the unknown and having to retell ourselves a story of who we are. Um, so I think community is a really impactful thing to seek out in those moments. Mm, love it, brother. Yeah, there's one thing I just wanted to finish off with that you said earlier is just the power of integration with all this stuff and just how important that is when you're doing this work, whether it's psychedelics or whether it's anything. It's like the the amount that you integrate it is going to be what you get out of it. You can speak and talk about all this stuff, but if you don't apply it, it's not gonna it's not gonna do anything, you know? And um yeah, man, the, uh, I just really wanted to touch on that again because I think to leave the listeners with a takeaway, it's like that's the most important part is that integration with everything we do in this, in this area. Yeah, every lesson you learn if you don't actually apply it to your life. I mean, that's why people that say, why does this keep happening to me? You know, these, these bad things like yeah. three or four things are the same situation. Like in a relationship, you keep going around, this, you're attracting the same type of person. Like, why does this keep happening to me? Well, you got to really look at, like, why? What's the lesson in it? Like, what are you not learning? And I think that's where the integration comes in, right? Even if you do a plant medicine journey and you go and you keep going into these, these plant medicine states and you're, like, seeking, like, answers, it's like, well, you haven't integrated what you're learning. And I think that is a huge part of it, right? Like, 99% of this whole journey of life is integrating the lessons that we learn into working towards a better version of ourselves and becoming you know, more whole. Mm. Well said, brother. Thanks, everybody. Go check out Joe. Go listen to his podcasts. As you can tell, he's a very smart dude. We cover a lot. We covered some good stuff. How to talk to your family about religion and spirituality. Life after an athlete. The Heart Collective. Make sure you go check out all that. And, you know, really, I hope you guys can take away a little bit, walk away with you know, how you can show up better and really take ownership of your own life. Because at the end of the day, for us to make a change, we got to be the change we wish to see in the world. 
and it's a valuable lesson. So much love everybody. Hope you guys have a great 2021 and we will catch you next time.